0: This is Reset. I'm Susie On, in for Sasha Ann Simons. It's time to continue our conversation about a leaked draft opinion from the Supreme Court that would effectively overturn Roe v. Wade. We just heard from Governor Pritzker about how Illinois leaders are responding to the news. Now we'll talk more about how overturning Roe would impact pregnant people in Illinois and how the concept of fetal viability plays into this discussion. Joining us is Katie Watson, Northwestern University bioethicist, author of Scarlet A The Ethics, Law, and Politics of Ordinary Abortion. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Susie. Well, first, what's your reaction to this news?
1: I am horrified, though I am not surprised. Uh, I think it's very important for everyone to be clear that this is not the opinion in the Dobbs case. The Dobbs case has not been decided. This is a draft that was written three months ago. It could have changed. As of today, it could be different. Um, However, it it gives a very clear signal uh, to anyone who was hoping it would be otherwise, that Roe would not be overturned, um, that it couldn't possibly be that bad. Um, I hate to call it a silver lining, uh, but it gives those folks a month or two to... um, engage with reality, and know that this is what's coming. So it will be edited, but the end will not be different, Mm -hmm. which is Roe and Casey are completely overturned, and the question of abortions legality will go back to the states. So it was very painful for Mm -hmm. me to read. I think it's wrong constitutionally, and I think it's wrong ethically.
0: Now, last time we had you on the show was at the beginning of the year on the 49th anniversary of Roe versus Wade. Um, and you said you weren't surprised by this breaking news. But did you expect this to happen so soon?
1: Well, no, I never would expect a draft Supreme Court opinion to be leaked. To my knowledge, it hasn't happened in modern history. Um, so, So that part is an utter surprise. It's the Conclusion that Roe and Casey are completely overturned—that is not a surprise. I hoped it would be otherwise. I hoped they might um, adopt the 15-week standard and say no state may go below that. That was my hope, but I'm—that's—I'm surprised we're reading it. We were reading it last night. That's the shocking part, and and I, I you know cannot speculate on what's going mm-hmm. on with the court but to just say this is a mess and a oh, huge no. historic event to have a leak like this.
0: Well, let's talk about the role fetal viability plays in all of this. Uh-huh. Justice Alito says that one of the key parts of Roe v. Wade, fetal viability, viability quote, doesn't make sense. Uh, can you tell us what fetal viability is and why it matters?
1: Sure. So the Roe court did something very wise both constitutionally and ethically when it chose viability as a standard and so it was wrestling with the complexity of the abortion question and what it decided was that women had a right to decide whether or not to continue a pregnancy up until a fetus is viable and viability as they defined it is the a point in pregnancy in which a fetus has a reasonable chance of a meaningful life outside of the woman's body. And it doesn't mean that it's going to be delivered. It doesn't mean it has a 100% chance of survival. And But what the Roe Court was recognizing and what's unique about the viability line as opposed to any other Um, gestational development line, whether it's cardiac, the first flicker of cardiac activity Mm -hmm. or pain or organized thoughts and cortical process, you know, any other um, gestational development, is that it's the only one that takes the person in whom that fetus lives into account. It's the only gestational line that acknowledges the woman or the person with a uterus in whom, for, on whom that fetus is dependent for life. So we talk about an embryo as a potential life. It's an existing living embryo, but once it's outside of that woman's body, when her kidneys are not um, purifying toxins, when her lungs uh, are not breathing oxygen and passing it on, mm-hmm. when her stomach and digestive system are not um, digesting nutrition and passing it on, it dies. It can't survive. And so viability said, well, okay, you can end that pregnancy up until the point where others could potentially care for that being when it's outside of your body. And it left it to the medical profession. So first, to say there's no rhyme or reason to viability is just a willful misstatement um, for folks who just Mm -hmm. want to pretend fetuses live in aquariums. Um, The second piece there uh, that... Um, Alito criticizes is the idea that viability can shift based on technology. And the Roe Court completely embraced that. And that's why that majority opinion did not pick a particular week and say, Mm -hmm. okay, we'll call viability X weeks. It left it to the medical profession, knowing that technology would change. And so what clinicians and NICU doctors and obstetricians call viability has moved down a little bit since Roe. The Roe court said this typically happens around 28 weeks in 1973 and sometimes as early as 24. Now we're at about 24 weeks, roughly 50% or potentially more, depending if the person got um, steroids Mm -hmm. when they were in premature labor, um, survived to discharge. Um, so that's where it is mm-hmm. medically. So uh, you, you can argue about it, but the idea that it makes no sense or that it is not grounded in um, uh, constitutional logic is just utterly false.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, how have anti-abortion advocates gained steam incrementally over the past decades?
1: Well, I think that they are well-financed, and I think that the, uh, they've um, found this as a pivot issue, of course, um, tied to so many other things. And I think of it in part as a what I call in my book a Trojan horse problem, because if you want to um, talk about the role of women in general and say women's liberation and equality has gone too far— um, it's harder to get people to join your march. But if you say a fetus is a person, um, we've all been trained to respect that. So I think it's it's different for what I call the honest abolitionists who really and truly believe an embryo has the same moral status uh, as you and I. And those who are hijacking this issue for a larger social agenda but if their mistress or their daughter or their wife or their girlfriend had an unwanted pregnancy, they'd be sure she could fly where she needed to to get that abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there's there's a lot going on um, in the larger picture that's not just about embryos and fetuses, but it's about women's role in families, the role of motherhood, mm-hmm. the role of sexuality, uh, and the role of women in society. And you know, let's have that debate. Uh, the only, again, I don't mean to suggest there's any upsides, but I think of this incredible backlash as the last gasp of the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And and that's a stupid thing to say because, you know, they always have more breath. But um, they're fighting back so hard because they're losing. And so when you look at the way American women... Many, and not all, have the same access, and we have to be very clear about the lack of access for impoverished women and women mm-hmm. of color and barriers to culturally competent care. That said, compared to 30, 50 years ago, the just phenomenal way in the, historically speaking, short amount of time in which American women have claimed... a uh, Absolutely historically unique Mm -hmm. uh, control over their own sexuality, uh, their sexual expression, their higher education rates going up, their um, flood into the workplace, uh, changing family formations, um, changing parenting expectations. So, so much has happened. And from a sociological point of view, you actually expect – reaction to that, like a seizure of um, sort of desperate seizure of control. So that's what I think is happening historically, and that's what helps me get out of bed in the morning. Um, I I always say it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, I believe both of those things deeply. And the Mm -hmm. question is, how long will it take to get better? But today, we are very much mired in the worst.
0: Well, looking um, at our state here in Illinois, we we, uh, have laws that uh, would uphold um, rights to abortion. Um, But if this opinion is passed, what will that mean for Illinois? What will it look like?
1: So the good news for the people of Illinois is that the Illinois legislature has codified the Roe versus Wade standard into our state law in our Reproductive Health Act. So if Roe were overturned tonight, the people of Illinois would wake up tomorrow with the same protections that they had tonight, right? So for the people of Illinois, I mean, let's just be clear. Again, I just feel the need to repeat. This is a leaked draft opinion. It's not the Dobbs decision. Abortion is legal all over the United States today. Um, If in the next two months this becomes the law of the land or some version of it, the people of Illinois will not experience a change in their ability, uh, their right to access abortion or contraception. Um, However, we will be flooded with out-of-state patients. Mm -hmm. So the waiting time for Illinois patients might go up. We saw, uh, we've seen with the Texas ban, that is unconstitutional, yet this court has upheld, and that's one of the reasons I'm not surprised by this decision. The court had three opportunities, and it let Texas sustain a six-week ban, which is just flies in the face of Roe. So that's why, just privately, I thought, of course they're going to overturn Roe, because if they were going to take the Mississippi standard, they would have staved Texas off, and they didn't. Um, So—but we have—you know, people are calling that a dress rehearsal. We're seeing the travel, and Illinois— is a donut hole in with surrounding mm-hmm. states that are going to go dark or gray, um, and so we already have about 16% of our patients are from out of state, and that number is going to go up. Um, mm-hmm. Our clinics and know that, and they're trying to figure out how to handle the capacity.
0: Yeah. This is Reset. I'm Susie On in for Sasha Ann Simons, and that's Northwestern University bioethicist Katie Watson. We're talking about how anti-abortion activists gained steam over the past few decades, and the latest from the Supreme Court. Um, Professor, can you talk about how the issue of um, unenumerated rights plays into all of this? Mm
1: -hmm. Yes. Okay, we're going to go Con Law 101. (laughs) Um, The idea—so there's a Ninth Amendment idea that— Anything not specifically restricted is left to the people. Um, And then there's this separate issue of substantive due process, which is a doctrine that has developed uh, in the last century. The idea that um, the 14th Amendment, the due process clause, process we usually think of as like, did you get fair rules in court? Substantive due process is bigger than that. And thinking about um, what are legitimate governmental purposes. And so the privacy doctrine was developed In contraception cases, and what many people don't um, recall or haven't known is that states made the use of all contraceptives illegal, although they'd make exception for condoms because they were for disease prevention. Mm -hmm. But note that's male-controlled contraception versus female-controlled contraception. Um, And in 1965, the court struck the first case. The court struck a stat that one state statute down. Um, for married couples. And then it wasn't until nineteen seventy two in Eisenstadt that it struck a different states down statute down for single people that it said it applied to everybody. And the court said, youth developed this privacy doctrine citing all sorts of different constitutional law cases, um including um, the court striking down in nineteen sixty seven bans on miscegenation, um, criminalizing. People marrying people of opposite races, and using sterilization as a uh, criminal penalty and a right to procreate, and it said in these contraception cases that the that the right, the decision whether to bear or beget a child, was just a fundamental and intimate decision that the government um, should have no part of. And in Roe, the question was. Um, does the presence of an embryo change that decision? And what the Mm -hmm. Roe Court said from an ethics perspective is, no, it's still the same interest of the person, the 100% person, that pregnant person who is protected by the Constitution. And this is really an issue of conscience Mm -hmm. for her to decide whether that is moral or immoral to pursue because we justices, cannot speak to when, quote, life begins. Mm -hmm. That's not a judge's job. And so here this court, in Alito's opinion, is claiming, oh, we're neutral. Mm -hmm. Um, But what they're doing is giving it back to state legislatures so strangers Mm -hmm. can decide whether you must be forced into motherhood rather than what Roe did in their Mm -hmm. version of neutrality, which was say, It will be up to the pregnant person. And if you say my moral or religious perspective says I must continue this pregnancy at all costs, even though it threatens my life, we will give you all the million-dollar medicine for your Mm high-risk pregnancy or your premature neonate that you need. And if you say... I do not think this embryo has a moral status that outweighs the need of my other three children Mm -hmm. to eat or my need to finish college or whatever Mm -hmm. to get out of this abusive relationship, whatever your reason is, or I just plain don't ever want to have kids, um, that you get to decide that.
0: That's Katie Watson, Northwestern University bioethicist, author of Scarlet A. Katie, thanks for being with us.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for spending time on this important issue.